0: it became really urgent to me to have something important to say. And how was I going to say it? And how was I going to say it loud? And how was I going to make it impactful? Because I had figured out what my why was. I had figured out, this is why I do this. This is why I continue to create. And and it's more important to me that the person that I'm painting sees that part of themselves that is so beautiful
1: Mm. that
0: maybe they never noticed before, then it is that my painting is so beautiful.
2: Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected 4th Acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Lori Pratico to the My 4th Act podcast. Lori began her artistic career when she was 18 as a billboard artist in her hometown of Philadelphia. Lori is self-taught and learned from unique experiences that pushed her outside of her own boundaries and the boundaries of society. Today, Lori's artwork is recognized around the country. Her work has been represented by different galleries and shown at Art Basel. And Lori is definitely a serial entrepreneur. We're going to talk about that some more. Just two highlights I want to share with you now. At 23, Lori had twins and devoted five years to giving them 100% of her attention. These days, besides creating her own artwork, Lori runs the nonprofit Girl Noticed, which supports the creation of murals around the country as well as workshops that empower girls and women around the US. And I want to just end the introduction with this phrase that I saw in in your materials, Lori. You said, I am obsessed. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, when I hear that, that can be good or that can have a dark side. So
0: yeah, it's a little of
2: both. (laughs) both. So welcome, Lori.
0: Thank you so much, Akeem. It's a pleasure to Sit and have this conversation with you.
2: I so look forward to it. And I already alluded to your younger years, Philadelphia. I'm curious. No, I when when I think I've been to Philadelphia, I have all sorts of stereotypical images of Philly neighborhoods and what it's like and stuff we've seen on TV. But when you were growing up, Did you know you wanted to be an artist? Uh, Did mom and dad ask you what you wanted to be? Was that in your consciousness at that time?
0: Yes. I can't ever remember not wanting to be an artist. And my very first experience of knowing that was it was um, probably the first week of kindergarten. And my kindergarten teacher put a smock over my head. And set me up in front of an easel with a big pad of paper on it. Yeah. And there were little containers of paint in front of me and no brushes
1: because Uh. we were going to
0: use our fingers. And I was allowed to get the paint wherever I got the paint. (laughs) It could get on myself, it could get on my hands, it could get on the canvas. And it really didn't matter what the painting looked like. It was just create. And I was sold from that day on. It was the the idea of of the freedom yeah. to just express myself that way. I of course didn't know what it was then, right. but I was hooked. <laughs> it was that was it, and I still to this day you, I never don't have paint under my fingernails. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just I, I would just listen to you thinking how marvelous that the teacher. Gave you permission to use the fingers because Mm -hmm. the teacher gave you the freedom because for many of us, society is about, you know, curtailing our freedoms. Right. And uh, you were given a chance to play with that.
0: Yeah, it was that, you know, that idea of just being able honestly, I think it was more about making a mess than making art that yes. was appealing to me at the time <laughs> that it was okay to be a bit of a mess, you know, cause I've always been a bit of a mess. So it, it you know, and it's not always okay. Yeah. So it worked out that day. And, uh, and I actually, my mother saved, used to save our little papers, you know, she had a little box with certain, with, you know, different papers throughout the years of drawings and things like that. Yeah. And she has a piece of paper from kindergarten and it says, "What's your favorite color? What's your favorite this? What do you what veg, what you know? Foods do you like?" And then it says, "What are you going to be when you grow up?" And I mm. wrote artist. Actually, I wrote art. I didn't write artist. I just uh, wrote art. <laughs> so that pretty did, much summed it up.
2: And did mom go along with that when you wrote down art?
0: Well, at kindergarten, I don't think she had anything to worry <laughs> about, so right. she wasn't really, you know, against it or for it. Um, um, But no, it was not something that was encouraged when I was a kid. Creativity wasn't encouraged by my mom because there was always something more important to do. And I wasn't one to want to do the important things. (laughs) So (laughs) my childhood was focused a lot on why haven't you done this or done that kind of thing. And now my father, though, was very creative. And I actually was very inspired by, he had one sketchbook that he kept in the bottom drawer mm-hmm. of his, you know, dresser. And it it had maybe six or seven pages that he had drawings in. And I used to just look at those pages and just be in like awe of that he drew that. Wow. And it was just pen and ink, you know, and him mm-hmm. kind of doodling. But it was so cool to me. And he like, he played around with the guitar and he, you know, he'd get involved if I had a school project and it needed some kind of creativity, he would jump in and get involved in that. And it was really the only time he was able to get involved, you know, because he, he was busy with working and things like that and worked a night shift most of his life. So yeah. we didn't see him a lot, but he was careful not to be too encouraging as well because then my that would make my mom upset <laughs> so
1: nobody
2: oh, would have the, upset. The, the, <laughs> the complexity of family dynamics right exactly
0: <laughs> and then now- honestly as I got older it was more about you know not wanting then it was about that necessity we grew up below poverty level mm-hmm. and there was this necessity of having a job that was a responsible job that you know you knew you were going to get paid and honestly yeah. i really think that they just figured get a job that makes some money until you get married because yeah. you know you marry a yeah. good man and you have kids and you know you you're the supplemental income if you go back to work at some point you know yeah. that yeah. kind of thing so very traditional yeah upbringing
2: i want to dig into two things here one I do want to talk about the billboard art, billboard art to Akeem's mind. It's big. It's (laughs) noticed since your brand is girl noticed, You did this when you were, and it, I think it takes a certain chutzpah, I think to say, I'm going to make billboard art. Can you talk about how, when you first started doing that?
0: Yeah. um, It was kind of by accident, but then again, not, which has kind of been always how things work with me. Sitting in high school thinking about I wanted to be an artist still, I remember saying to a classmate of mine, having this moment where I said, I just want my work to be seen. I just want it to be, you know, I I want to drive down the street and see it. And that's kind of in my head, people who made money doing art, that was how they were making money. It was through commercial art, which it was called at the time, or you know, some kind of advertising, that kind of thing. And for me, it was like, well, if I was going to do that, then I wanted you people to see it. I did not know that meant it would be billboards. Because I was not encouraged to go to art school, I found myself graduating high school and not really having a plan. I was offered many college scholarships for sports. Mm. And my mom actually never sent the applications in because she didn't want me to go away to school and didn't see playing sports as something that was something I should do.
1: Mm.
0: And at that time, it wasn't on computers. You had to send in your financial aid stuff and all that. And I thought, you know, I didn't test well. So I thought because of my low scores on my tests, I wasn't getting in. Something was happening with the schools. And that's why I wasn't hearing back from them. They wanted me. And then all of a sudden, I didn't hear anything. And it was because she was basically down. And I learned that years later. But yeah, so I kind of didn't have a plan. So I opened up a Yellow Pages, which is the phone book, right? And I wrote to all of the art schools in Philadelphia asking, what do I need to do? I don't have the money right now, but I want to be prepared when I do to come and apply to your school. You know, do I need a portfolio? What it does it need to contain? And a sign painting school contacted me mm. and said, just come down for the interview. Uh-huh. And I went to the interview and I went to this 18 month school. And within the first six months of going to that school, a billboard company had Go on to the school and said, "Do you have anybody?" And they said, "Yeah." And my interview literally consisted of showing up with paintbrushes, yeah, and them saying, "Go ahead and paint that." And I went, you know, and painted in this warehouse in West Philadelphia. Had no windows, so it was very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter. (laughs) Yeah. And after a few days, they were telling me to paint billboards, which I never told my parents I was doing. I told them, you know, as far as they knew, I they, I they knew I was doing something creative there, but I couldn't tell them I was climbing billboards. They would have never let me do it. I was still living at home.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: so, and that's how it all pretty much started.
2: Well, how subversive of you is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so many beautiful aspects to that story, you know, and also the your your pursuit of what you wanted and then stumbling into something that to me sounds adjacent but was perfect right
0: yeah well even this even the sign painting course they had a sign painting Uh course and an advertising course Mm -hmm. but they didn't have a teacher for the advertising course yeah and they said look the beginning of the course is typography you have to learn how to do lettering so just take the beginning of the other course and then you can switch over And, you know, I never even I finished the school in like 12 months. It wasn't even a year that I was there and I was being offered so many jobs at that point for what I was doing that I was like, I'm going to go make money instead. And Mm. and that's what I ended up doing.
2: Yeah. That's so cool. (laughs) Now, I mentioned when Juicy, you had twins at 23, you painted the picture of the traditional narrative of. She'll marry a nice man who'll take care of her. But I understand that you were a single mom. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Well, well, I, you know, they have a dad.
2: Of course they do. (laughs) Well, not of course, but...
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. But um, yes, I did get married and I very much wanted to have children. I got married very young. And to be honest, it was about being able... To have some freedom and and get out. I yeah. was you know I wasn't going to leave the house unless I got married. And it was like okay, so <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. So we moved to Florida because here I was trying to raise twins, and he was working two jobs, and we were both very young, mm-hmm. and it was a lot to handle, a lot of responsibility. Very young for two very young people who weren't grown ups yet. Yeah, and we moved to Florida and all of a sudden we had no support system around us. His family was a huge support. My mom was of huge support with the kids. And now we had nothing but each other, and that wasn't going to work. <laughs> so yeah. when the kids were four years old, we ended up splitting up. And from that point on, I had relationships in my life and I had support in my life, but I did raise them Pretty much on my own for making all the decisions and the hard decisions by myself. So
2: Now, you're a prolific artist, especially when, when you establish yourself, balancing doing your work. It's the classic artistic dilemma, no matter what your form is. And you need to support yourself and you need to create a life where there's room for all of that. And you had two children. How did you maneuver through
0: that? Um, Well, I don't think I really considered myself a fine artist Mm -mm. that could sell paintings until maybe I was, you know, in my mid 40s. But what I did discover with going to that sign school and, you know, just for a few months and then. Getting work, and people appreciated my creativity that they'd pay me to do creative things
1: mm-hmm.
0: And I enjoyed doing creative things. It really it was just I knew how to make money using my creativity. Mm. And it could look a lot of different ways. I've worked in probably every creative industry you could think of. I mean, there's so many creative industries that I've touched upon. And I've learned so many things from those industries, but I never really thought, oh, I could go show my work in a gallery. You know, that was when things started to kind of change when I said, okay, I'm actually going to get out of my comfort zone because I was always drawing and I only really knew how to draw. I had a shoebox that had pencils and erasers in it and I would draw these really detailed drawings of people always yeah and they were getting better and better and better and then all of a sudden people started offering to pay me for those (laughs) and I thought oh you know maybe there's something here
2: (laughs) before we get to the people are paying for your paintings part I part of your And I say there's a couple of part of your wonderfully checkered past and the different things you've done is this is a very Florida reference. But, you know, you did some work that had to do with Sawgrass Mills, which is this huge, huge outlet shopping mall that uh, if anybody goes on a cruise, chances are the day before or after they go to Sawgrass Mills just to give a sense of your what I'd say more maybe traditionally commercial work instead of fine art. What did you do at Sawgrass (laughs) Mills?
0: So, you know, a big part of my story is the fact that when I stayed home with my kids for those five years, you know, with four years that they were born and then the year before they I was on bed rest for so long being pregnant with twins. So it was about five years when I went back into the sign industry and tried to get a job. Everything was computerized. And so what I had been doing all by hand, now everyone was using Mm. a computer to do. So I was at the top of my field when I got pregnant with twins, and I was actually running my own sign business at that point and had to stop doing it. And when I tried to get back into the field, I was now at the bottom of my field because I didn't know what I needed to know. And I went to work for a sign company in Fort Lauderdale. And I would just stay late and hang around the computer guy. And I, I basically got hired for $12 an hour as a helper. Mm-hmm. And I would go and I would help. <laughs> and, and I would just hang out and learn. But in three years, I ended up being the project manager of that sign shop.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the things that I learned in creativity, when you ask about making money and how do you balance it and all yeah. that, I learned very early on that I was going to make a lot more money because the value isn't put on the artist. The value is put on the product. Mm-mm. So if I was the one selling the product, <laughs> I would make a lot more money than the yeah. artist creating the product. Yeah. So I became the artist that created and sold the product. Mm-hmm. So it was always, like you say, being that kind of serial entrepreneur saying, well, I'm going to make a lot more money if I do this myself. And Sawgrass Mills was one of their accounts that required a lot of creativity, and it was kind of a pain in the butt account for them because mm-hmm. they 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 wanted everything to be very mechanical and just get it out, you know, kind of like a factory. I would put that extra bit of creativity. So they had all these when they first opened, especially they had all these kiosks in the middle of the store, which they still do that mm-hmm. sold. You know, they're all individual businesses. Yes. And they required those businesses to create a logo and then turn that logo into a die cut foam sign Mm -hmm. to put on top of their kiosk. They asked me if I would take that account. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to I had left the job at that point. And I spoke to the my boss, and I said, "Are you okay with me taking this account? I don't want to burn any bridges, you know." And and he was like, "Please take it." <laughs> so, yes, they would give me and and the fact that you know that story, you probably know the part that uh, I didn't drive. Do you know that part? I, I did bridge? not know that. Okay, so I did not drive at the time. I didn't learn how to drive till I was thirty three years old.
1: Uh huh.
0: So I would make these signs in my apartment. I would design their logo then make the sign they were very creative of whatever they were selling and i think i was paid like something like 425 dollars a sign which was pretty good you know yeah. and i was getting quite a few of them the thing is there's unfortunately there was a very high turnover <laughs> of these little businesses so i was getting three and four a month easily so it was mm-hmm. a great account to have and but when i would be done a sign i would they were about um maybe 24 by 28 inches around you know 28 by 28 was the total size of them kind of thing and they would go on a stand and i would put it on the stand double sided i'd put a trap big huge trash bag over it and i would get on two buses from oakland park and take it to the and sit on the bus with the sign and i would take the they would pay me the 425 dollars a lot of times in cash mm. so i would take the 25 dollars and have lunch and <laughs> maybe buy my kids something and the 400 would go in the bank <laughs>
2: I have images of you doing these secret drug deals at Sawgrass Mills. This (laughs) is one of those shady stories. Yeah, well, it's kind (laughs) of funny
0: because their offices are kind of like back behind the food court, you know. So it's, uh, you know, but yeah, so that was a great little gig and that account. And then I also was approached by a high school that was the first high school to do the banners of the different companies the incentives of different companies kind of sponsoring the school and their sports teams. And now all the high schools have banners all around their fences. And this was like the first school to cut the guy that came up with the idea approached me and said, can I pay you to do the banners for the school? Mm -hmm. So my kids were in grade school then, and they would come home and I would have banners like throughout the living room and all the rooms laying on the floor drying yeah. And they knew to kind of walk around them and through them, and <laughs> it's it was like an obstacle course in the house. Yeah. but
2: wow, so. very cool. I want to talk about being in galleries or being represented, or I know it f- suddenly can become the status game, right? about who who is showing you. Who's representing you? Are you getting into the right places? And they can kick in a lot of stuff internally for people. Like if if, there's, if we have if we have any part inside that good things, we're not good enough. That can suddenly be amplified in that game. Um, what was it like for you to suddenly? Oh, people are paying money for my paintings. But where am I going with this? And can you give us a picture of what the journey was like for you? Fine arts commercial artist who sells our artworks including online you know
0: yeah you know it's all of what you said is the journey right and you I kind of I think I doubted myself so much when it came to that type of art and Mm -hmm. a lot of it was because I wasn't trained at all in that kind of art so I felt like there's a right way to do this stuff And I don't know how that right way is. And I was very much about knowing how to do things. That's how I prepare. You know, it was like a a lot of things that I've done in my life, like I did them for the first time. But Mm -hmm. there was always that preparation period where I could open up a book and I would figure out how to do it first. And I I was at a loss when it came to creating like fine art of, Mm -hmm. yes, there were plenty of books and things like that, but I didn't have the materials to, to create with them. So I just always felt less than and I felt like they would they would know that I didn't know what I was doing kind of thing yeah so it was really my friends, a few friends in particular that you know, I had like a drafting table in my living room of my apartment and my friends would come over and I was always working on something. the kids would put the kids to bed and I would draw while I watch TV or whatever. and they were like, you have to show this work. What are you doing? And and I was like, oh, you know, I just kind of figured out they're my friends. Right? <laughs> right? That's very nice of them. Yeah. And then we were on Las Olas Boulevard. I had gone to the Cheesecake Factory for dinner and we walked across the street to this gallery that was showing local artists work. It was like a two-story gallery.
2: I just want to say for our non, non radiance that's in, in downtown Fort Lauderdale. So just...
0: Yes, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Um yeah, and it's a very you know, it's known for its artist galleries and That's its right. art and its high-end restaurants and kind of swankiness, right? Mm-hmm. So we walk into this place and it had a more of a like, you know, street feel, like artesian feel type mm-hmm. of type of thing, not like a swanky gallery. But you know, the artwork was great that was in there. It was warehouse style. And I'm in there with a, a couple of my friends, and my one friend's like your work is better than this. You you should be in here. And and I don't ever like hearing that because I feel like it's very subjective and artwork, everyone's artwork. One piece of artwork can be amazing to one person and not appeal to someone else. So, but I was like, do you really think my art could be in here? And then behind my back, they went up to the gallery owner and said, you know, would you look at her art and can she, how does she submit? Like, is there a way to submit? And the gallery owner told them how I could submit and they told me. And so I did it. And I was in the next show at the gallery, you know, a bunch of my friends, like, you know, I had 20 friends show up (laughs) that were like, Oh, we're all going to go to Lori's first show. And I kept warning them because I had no idea where they were hanging the work. It was a group show. It was a black and white. Well, and, and at the time, like I say, I, I only really did pencil drawings and, you know, black and mm-hmm. white stuff. I didn't use color. And I, I was like, you know, my stuff might be hanging in the bathroom. I don't know where it's going to be. And, you know, and there are, and, you know, right front and center, there was my work. And it was just such a great feeling just to, to be in that atmosphere and have that. I had joined a couple, like there's an organization called Art Serve, and then there's mm-hmm. an you know, art guild. And I had started to kind of just wet my toe with them and, you know, show a piece here and there. But, but it was the kind of thing where I would find out later, well, if you were a member, they showed your work, you know, it wasn't like getting accepted. There wasn't that acceptance part. So it really just was about putting myself out there and, and doing it. And in the beginning, I always created work for the show. So there was a black and white show. Well, this is black and white. There's an, there's an abstract show. So I'll do something a little abstract. So there's, a, <laughs> you know, like whatever there were themes to these shows, mm-hmm. especially with the Broward Art Guild and, and ArtServe at the time, they would have a theme for the month and I would create for the theme and then submit. And I was getting in, but I wasn't thrilled with the work. Yeah, And it was always rushed because I had a month to create it. And then I had that poignant moment where I decided Mm -hmm. I'm just going to create really good work Mm -hmm. and wait for the right show.
1: Yeah,
0: And that's when things started turning for me because now all of a sudden I had a number of pieces that were quality. And when an opportunity came, I could just apply to the opportunity. And I looked at it as just apply to every opportunity that fits you. You'll get in some, you'll get it, you know, it's a numbers game. Some are, you're going to, are going to work out, some are not. And the ones that worked out were awesome. But I think about the fact of, I had to like, look for those opportunities. I had to be very like, and, you know, I would take a day where I wasn't maybe working on a project, was working for myself creatively doing faux finishing and, you know, other things, but I would take a day and and just apply to things. And I was like, well, if that day didn't happen, I
2: wouldn't be in those shows. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. As I listen to your story, you know, I you gave yourself permission to have your own artistic voice, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that was the shift. It bothers me them fast forwarding the conversation because everything you say I I could spend so much more time on. <laughs> but uh, how did Girl Noticed come about? Uh, which is uh, maybe and maybe I, I did the introduction, but in your own words, what's your vision for it, and what what are you doing with it so far?
0: Um. So, Girl Noticed it's it's really a great story, and Girl Noticed is who I am. It's, mm-hmm. it, it really embodies who I am as a person and embodies my story. It's embodies the young girl that we were talking about that, mm-hmm. you know, didn't feel seen and wanted her work to be seen when really it was me who I, I wanted people to see me. Yeah, And I felt like I had kind of, you know, a unique gift of seeing others, which was why I always drew portraits and why I always painted portraits because it wasn't, I started drawing portraits really young and I would copy this. I would get Teen Beat magazine and copy all the stars Mm -hmm. that were in the magazine. And all of a sudden it looked just like them because I just did it over and over and over again. That's what I was always doing. And so making your portrait look like you, I don't even worry about that. I know it's going to look like you. right? But making it feel like you with something else. Making someone be able to look at the painting I did of you and discover something about you, and then maybe you even discover something about yourself was a whole nother story. So, I'm, I was doing, you know, I had a gallery representing me, and I had done a series called Dare to be Different. And it was about these girls that had, and women that had tattoos, and they had, you know, Um, pink hair and, or, or maybe that in, you know, they on the outside look completely normal, but they were following this, you know, normal quote unquote, but they were following this path that maybe was different from others. And I was very much living very vicariously through them because I had had this huge tug of war between fitting in and standing out. The artist in me wanted to stand out. I had a personality that made me want to stand out but I was told my whole life fit in. Mm. And so there was that part always tugging at me. No, you should just fit in. And so these women, it like, they didn't care if they fit in and they totally stood out. Mm. And I was so interested in their stories and I was learning about them and becoming friendly with them by having, doing these portraits of them. So I had a solo show at the gallery with about 25 pieces and all of the women that I drew showed up to the show. And it was this amazing event because people were like, oh, my gosh, because they are women with orange and red hair and tattoos. And yeah. and it was when you didn't see that a lot. You know, mm-hmm. it was 15 years ago. You know, you were 10 years ago. You weren't seeing as much of that at the time. But it was like everybody wanted their pictures with them. They were like celebrities. Right. And it was such a great event. And nothing sold. And that was OK. <laughs> You know, because this wasn't what it was about. It was about getting this message across, but I hadn't really told anyone what the message necessarily was that I was trying to get across. And people started coming up to me and telling me, "I see this person differently. I'm not looking at them. The, mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at them longer. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm noticing things about them." And I was like that's what I'm trying to say and you're getting it without me actually saying it through the paintings. So it became really urgent to me to have something important to say and how was I going to say it and how was I going to say it loud and how was I going to make it impactful because I had figured out what my why was. I had figured out this is why I do this. This is Mm -hmm. why I continue to create and And it's more important to me that the person that I'm painting sees that part of themselves that is so beautiful
1: Mm.
0: that maybe they never noticed before than it is that my painting is so beautiful. Mm. And it just became this thing. So I happened to go to a fundraiser for an organization called Girl Rising, and it was a series of movies about human trafficking. Stories of these young girls. And it was about how if you educate a girl, you know, you can change a community by educating a girl because you can stop the cycle of human trafficking and everything. And there was a seven year old girl from Haiti that had survived the horrible earthquake there. Her and her family survived, but her school had been destroyed. And she would walk to the school every day and just want to learn. And they wouldn't let her go because you had to pay. And her parents didn't have the money to pay for these special schools after the earthquake. And she looked around and she was like, they kind of did a voiceover of her thinking. And she thought, if I survived this, all this devastation all around me, then my life must mean something more. There must be more to it than mm. just what I'm supposed to do my chores. I'm supposed to do this. And I get chills to this day when I think about that moment, because that moment I was already looking for what is my next thing? What is, how am I going to have a voice here? How am I going to make it loud and stand out? And then this little seven-year-old girl talked to my little seven-year-old girl Mm -hmm. and said, make the difference by, you know, noticing that you are more than what you think you are. Yeah. And literally the next day, I wrote a business plan for Girl Noticed. I kind of put it all together and I just sat on my patio and I brainstormed ideas and I put this business plan together and I showed it to a a few people that I thought would be very critical and that I cared what they thought. (laughs) I showed it to three people, actually, my best friend who I knew would would say, go for it. This is the best idea ever. And then I showed it to someone that just poo poos on everything and would tell me everything that was wrong with it. And she did. And then I showed it to the gallery owner who loved it. And I really respected her opinion. And she loved it. And she was like, I want to be your photographer and let's make this thing happen. And they helped support me financially in the beginning, you know, of, of I, before I was able to start fundraising and all, they helped me fundraise and. Really helped me get it off the ground, and in that plan, and that sitting on that patio, I said, "I want to go to all fifty states. I want to notice girls and women. I want them to be nominated from their communities." And the nominations were because, in when I was a senior in high school, my art teacher nominated me for the National Honor Society, Mm. and she let me read the nomination letter. And it was the first time I was in a very difficult time in my life, and I was so insecure and I felt like reading her letter that she had seen me I felt seen that was always such a huge theme in my life mm-hmm. and I was like what if I see people what if I can show them I see them like the ordinary person the person that thinks that they just go through the motions of life that they're that they deserve to be seen as much as you know the star or the you know somebody on TV or whatever that that they have just as much value that they hold that value in their community and their family and and it just i have so much passion for that and it came through in the project and i've been to 16 states with it traveling was something i never got to do as a child because mm-hmm. we didn't have the money it was something I didn't do as a young adult because I had twins. and <laughs> I was raising two kids. yeah. And so now all of a sudden my kids were grown and going to college. And I was like, okay, I can do this, you know? And so I worked that into it more for me than for the project itself. But the project then started evolving where I was like, wow, like this issue needs to be recognized and this issue, because the nominations always kind of surfaced around some kind of issue. you know so somebody would get nominated because well maybe they were a cancer survivor or maybe they had an eating disorder or maybe yeah. they came from an environment that was really difficult and they rose above you know so it was all of these things that different reasons and all of a sudden the mural was not only just noticing the girl but it was noticing everyone like her that suffered from these same things and we could bring attention to a cause and we could bring attention to the girl and we could bring attention to the community. And that was amazing. And when I saw what it could do, the very first mural I did was in Hollywood, Florida, Mm -hmm. and was a very shy young girl and she wrote me a thank you letter after. She didn't say a word to, to me. She kept coming up to me and saying thank you <laughs> as I was painting or drawing. And I th- I kept thinking her mom to made her come up here and thank me, you know, because she was so painfully shy. And she wrote me this like two, three page letter after like a couple days later thanking me and and what she said to me in that letter. I wrote her back and I said if this project, I do not, if I do not do one more mural with this project, it will have been worth it because it was just so unbelievable to me that like that she experienced that through my Mm -hmm. art and every single mural has been like that. It's like, every time I do one, the experience is so unique that I'm like, Oh, you know, like (laughs) it's so worth it. But now instead of feeling like, I'd be fine if it was over. It's more like I need to do more. It needs to be better. It needs to be you know, like, so, if I can do this, then I have to do that.
2: So <laughs> yeah. as I'm listening to you, your, your why is clear to me. Your passion is clear to me. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all my guests because you're entering your mid-50s. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of years ahead of, whatever you damn want to do. And you're so clear about what drives you and how, and I think what nour- what nourishes you, but also gives back to others. I hear both in how you describe yourself, which is so beautiful. But if if you get very honest with yourself, are there other things where you go, well, and even if you don't know, if you don't know how it's going to happen, because sometimes we think about it, if, if I don't know the how, I can't say it. But the other things Lori like to do, that she has never done, that are lurking around somewhere?
0: (laughs) You know, creatively, I see myself being more of a kind of a little freer creatively, Mm -hmm. trying things that I haven't tried, like, you know, different techniques that I've never Mm -hmm. tried before. Because one of the things that sometimes happens with artists is you get good at something and it gets a little scary to go try something completely different because you might not it might not look as good. And you know, now you've kind of put yourself in this. Well, you know, people have like an expectation and well, what if yeah. this stinks, you know? And I don't think I ever really had a problem with that, but I want to get rid of some clutter. You know, I've got clutter everywhere. I I have clutter when a you know artists tend to be a little cluttered when it comes to we like to save things and i have you know i have lots yeah. of art supplies and they they don't fit in a shoebox anymore that's for sure but i also have a lot of clutter when it comes to i say yes to everything as far as people asking me to do things creatively i want to i don't want to say yes to everything yeah i want to get rid of some of that clutter in my life that clutters my mind if i have to remember to do that and i have to remember to do that and i have to get this done for this person i have to do that for that person where i'm curating my life and my art a little bit more where i'm saying i'm going to take this really special project and then i'm going to take this time to do just the things i like to do you know so that's where i see myself yeah. going but you know if if covid didn't teach us anything else this pandemic. It's that things don't, things change constantly and they never stay the same. And I've known that my whole life. My, my life has always been this kind of series of, of changes and challenges and things Mm. like that. So I'm kind of like, because I do know my why, you know, because I know that I just really want people to under my mission has always been to make people understand that they have value and that they hold something inside of themselves just the way they are they don't have to wait to yeah. you know until they do this or do that to be something they are that already and without any limitations you can believe in yourself right like like get rid of the limitations and believe in yourself If that means I'm writing a book, if that means I'm, I don't know what that looks like as far as how I'm getting that message across. For years now, it's been through my murals and through workshops that I hold and through my traditional sense. It might look completely different, but as long as I'm doing that, I know I'm still on the right path
2: one more question for you. You're doing such a great job. Number one, describing your own evolution as an artist. Also describing the courage to continuously evolve and stay curious. You identify as a member of the LGBTQ community because listening to this conversation, people are like, oh, she's this heterosexual chick. You know, she (laughs) she had kids at 23. The marriage didn't work out too bad. But how... How did you find that part of you, and how did you learn to embrace that part of you?
0: You know, you know, we talked a lot about with my project and just through this whole conversation about kind of that idea of fitting in. and mm-hmm. I literally did not fit into my family. and it's it's almost it's a very difficult thing to describe, but when you realize and a lot of LGBTQ, members understand this feeling of just kind of knowing that you just aren't like everyone else and I knew I wasn't like everyone else but I didn't necessarily know why Mm -hmm. and you know I very much wanted to get married and I very much like men I like women more (laughs) you know (laughs) but I I had no I really had no I no grasp on my sexuality when I was young I did not understand it. I did not embrace it at all. So I didn't even know what I liked and didn't like as a young person. Um, and when I figured it out, it was like, okay, (laughs) and now I know. Um, and you know, and it was actually after being divorced and dating more men and, you know, there was nothing wrong with the men. They were wonderful guys. And I, I loved the relationship with them. I just, you know, wasn't into the other stuff, <laughs> you know? So it, and then realized how that emotional connection with a woman kind of did it for me. So, you know, I was very kind of quiet about it in the beginning and very, I had a long distance relationship with, a woman in that was an artist um, studying film in New York. And we, you know, we met in a chat room <laughs> you know, on the computer and had kind of this whirlwind romance. And it was nice. It lasted a while. But because it was long distance, it kind of gave me the freedom to stay very, you know, and, you know, keep it pretty quiet. And my daughter, it turns out, I have a boy and girl twins Mm -hmm. and my my daughter is gay and she figured it out around 13. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was, I was out, but like, I certainly didn't, I always kind of almost used them as an excuse of, well, I'm not going to put like stickers on my car and I'm not going to be in the parade parading down, you know, the street saying I'm gay because, you know, I need to respect my kids and what people might, how they might treat them. And there was a, there was truth to that of me wanting to protect them, but it was also protecting me, Yeah, you know, and my daughter comes out and is just like, look, I'm gay. And if, if people aren't okay with that, well, they're going to have to deal with it because secrets are stressful. Those were her exact words to me. Mm. Secrets are stressful. And if they can't deal with how I am, then that's their problem. And I'm like looking at her like, okay. you
1: know,
2: I <laughs> think this is a good case of daughter teaching mommy. right? Oh,
0: well, daughter, ha- daughter and son have taught yeah. their mother so much. And I really did learn how to be more me yeah. and embrace who I was and that it was OK to be me through my daughter. And sometimes it was jealousy because I would watch her and I would, I would get jealous that, wow, geez, why can't I just be like her? You know, why can't I just literally not care what anybody thinks and, and just be myself. And that kind of almost envy turned into me doing it a little bit, little by little. And then the encouragement of my kids, my kids are like my biggest cheerleaders. And they always have been. And they've always been like, mom, you you know, you're a badass, (laughs) you you know, like embrace that, you know, and, and I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, and so they they have taught me so, so much. And I'm they're, they're amazing. I love them so much. And, you know, they, they helped me embrace who I am and be proud of who I am and, and want to be an example for them because I was like, they're being the example for me. Hold on. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like I need to be the example for them as well. So yeah.
2: that's such a beautiful note to end this conversation on. But before we before I say goodbye, I'm struck by I, I think you've your work as big and bold and in your face, because your your work is about being seen and not hiding. And I I do think your work, what I know of it, it goes to the essence and core of people and brings it out and amplifies it. I can't imagine that there aren't people listening who are curious and want to learn more about where they can find your work. So where would you like to direct them?
0: Well, thank you. So I I do have a website that has all the murals that I've done in the different 16 states, and that is girlnotice.org. But the best place, honestly, to kind of, if you want information, girlnotice.org is great. And if you're interested in having a mural done or finding out more about the process, you know, you can contact me through the website. But then also, I'm Lori Pratico on Instagram, where you can kind of see a lot of the different types of art I do. And I'm also Girl Noticed on Instagram, where you can see like kind of what we do on a regular basis as far as, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. So it doesn't get on the website. So, you know, they're the Instagram's really the best place to follow me.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you for the gift of your story and your life. And also thank you for such a cliche to say this for being so inspirational, but you're inspirational. So thank you for that.
0: Well, thank you. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to to tell my story and to to be seen and heard. <laughs> I appreciate it. Bye for now. All right, take care.
2: Like what you heard. Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.